Hello and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Spartans. It is Wednesday, March 25th, 2020 is the year. I am your host, Will Hunter, rolling uh, solo here just for the moment. Uh, Today is day two of our Cotton Bowl Spartans rewatch part two, if you will. Um, Went way too long in uh, in recording it. Um, So posted the first half for Tuesday's podcast and then today's uh, podcast, the entirety of it will be the second half of that. We'll uh, get into a whole bunch of different awards and have some fun discussions about uh, Michigan State's win uh, over Baylor in the Cotton Bowl in 2014 slash 15. So we'll just jump right into that reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find Locked On Spartans wherever you get your podcast. Without any further ado, let's jump into the uh, second half of this rewatch. And yes. We know Xavier Tillman uh, declared for the NBA draft. We're going to talk a ton about that on Thursday. Apologies. You know, we, it's tough to anticipate things, and he just happened to declare, and we had this thing in the can, and it didn't make sense to uh, hold it. So we'll have plenty to talk about uh, on Thursday's show. But for now, back to this Cotton Bowl Spartans rewatch. Uh, next award, next category is the Johnny Adams Award. Um, this is officially after the Little Giants game, been renamed for Johnny Adams. Uh, it's basically who is like a smaller level player, role player, glue guy, whatever, who's just either making a huge positive impact or just like big neck, like just who's everywhere, who is on the field for 10 plays, involved in five plays, and they're all really important plays just up and down and all over the place. Who is making a huge impact with a little bit of time? Um, my first nominee, RJ Williamson. So strong. Uh, he played a huge role in that onside kick. Um, I don't know. I don't remember now if he pulled it out, but he was like right in the mix there uh, recovering the onside kick. He had that huge hit that Matt alluded to on third and 18, which was unnecessary. He could have, should have just wrapped the guy up because yeah. it was third and 18, but he absolutely blew the running back up on the swing pass um, and then did an awesome job, A, catching the ball on the blocked kick, like being alert enough to find that in the air and catch it, and then returning it uh, you know, down to the Baylor side of the field. I thought it was going to go all the way uh, in real time. I remember that, but um, those three huge plays and you know, just playing safety and being involved in those huge spots. Um, so he's my first nominee, Matt, why don't you throw a nominee out there? So I got two. Uh, the first one is another RJ, but RJ uh, Shelton touched the ball three times that game, but had a touchdown and then had that 17 yard play on third and four that did lead to the Josh Langford touchdown mm-hmm. to make it the Jeremy Langford. I'm, I'm never gonna get that right. Um, to make it. What play did he score on Matt? What play did he score on Sheehan? What was it? He scored on the play after the 17-yard game. It's a jet sweep. That's it. That's the answer we were looking for. Oh, you're looking for play type. I I apologize. Sorry, sorry, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, the jet sweep. Of course it worked. (laughs) But it went to the wide side. I went back and looked. It was to the wide side of the field. Cowards. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my first one. RJ Shelton just touching the ball three times, but having a big impact on two of those three times. And number two is... It's not a player on either team. It's not a coach on either team. It's the officials. It's the officials. The, the refs had two big calls. We talked about them earlier. The one on the pick six that was called back for the unnecessarily blocking in the back. And then the other on the Coleman play with the face mask. Yes. And the third play, 
ducking out of the way so Riley Bullock can intercept that ball yes. to end the game. <laughs> they easily could have missed those two calls. Obviously, the first one, because really that had nothing to do with the play. Thank God one of these refs was watching. Uh, the Coleman face mask yeah, could go either way. I'm personally MSU green, so I think it was a great call. And then ducking out of the way, that was very impressive by the ref. So those three things lining up. I, thank you, refs. Thank you for what you guys do. So that's absolutely, absolutely pound for pound the best performer. All right. I still have two more nominees, uh, but Stephen, why don't you give us yours and then I'll finish mine out. I really only have one. I kept this in mind as I was watching. I was like, well, who's kind of in the background? Shelton is a great one. I wish I would have thought of that. Uh, so good. You know, good job by Sheehan there. Thank you, Stephen. Um, I appreciate that. Oh, no doubt, baby. What a guy. Uh, I think the next one, uh, for me, it's Marcus Rush, though. That's the one I came back to. And it feels weird sort of the way because you set it up because he was an absolute stud, you know, one of the most underrated players of the D'Antonio era, maybe even, you know, in program history. He Excellent, excellent, excellent player. But this just was not the game for him. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't a speed rush type of guy. He wasn't going to get to the quarterback. He's more of an edge setter and a physical presence in that way. And he was excellent at it. Um, oh, and he yeah. could get after the quarterback. But just, this just wasn't his game at that, at that pace and how quick they were getting rid of it. Um, but he blocks that field goal. You know, we all talk yeah. about the block or the return. Mm-hmm. He got his hand on that. And uh, he has a sack on, um, on Baylor's final possession. They just – they let you know they took the chain off on that last possession for Baylor and just got after him really, really hard. And uh, and that you know, what you had to do because of how explosive they were. But uh, so yeah, Rush made uh, came up in a big way at the end there and got a sack on that last possession. I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering it right. Rush is like the ultimate unsung hero of the D'Antonio era. He, was like, so he started, good. yeah, he started he so for good. people cannot he, look, overlook that. Didn't he start for all four years? I feel I like he did. Say so. Yeah. Yeah, that's another guy like, that like with some better measurables and a little better athleticism. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Play football just, you know for days. That dude was so yeah. good. Yeah, absolutely. He made the most of everything. Um, OK, I got two more nominees. They're both from Baylor, and I think they're better than every nominee we've gotten so far. And I'll make the wow. case. Um, All right. My runner up is the Quan McGowan. Yep. 400 pound man catching a touchdown. The only time he's touching the ball, staying in. And blocking for the onside kick, reserve lineman. Um, your efficiency can't get much better than that. One touch, 18 yards, touchdown, uh, and your 400 pounds. Like, that is incredible efficiency by him. And my number one, remember, this is the Johnny Adams Award, right? Chris Callahan, kicker for Baylor. Yeah. He was involved in, like, four plays, made two field goals, Doinked another one, which was a really helpful sort of momentum swingy type play, and then was the victim of the single most memorable moment from this entire game, um, getting his kicked block and then getting sent to the moon by Tony <laughs> Lippett. Nobody had more impact, more staying power from this game with less to do with the actual game than Chris Callahan, Baylor's kicker. So he is my supreme nominee for the Johnny Adams Award. It's he tough to argue, game. but I still got to go with the refs. I, I still got to go oh, with my zebras. They were clutched <laughs> down the stretch. <laughs> go to hell. Um, <laughs> Fine. Steven, who's your, who's your final vote for? You just sold me on the kicker. No, he had a Thank day, you. man. Um, <laughs> That's but, you know, the point. Making, a, making some <laughs> and giving them this lead and then – Missing one, and then just, yeah, like you said, just taking the guillotine in public like that. Um, 
Yeah, all of that. He had a he had a real day. So yeah, I, yeah. Based on the criteria, um, I got to go with that, him. But although I just want to say I I'm again tip my hat to Sheehan because all you hear about is people complaining about refs. You never hear praise of refs. Oh, I dab so, them up yeah. every time this game. <laughs> yeah, they get dabs. <laughs> anybody listening that that's a local official somewhere uh, when times are normal, you know, we salute you. So. There are people out there that that uh, care about it. We appreciate you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic. Yeah, that's the that's the criteria. Who had a day? <laughs> Chris Callahan. No one. I, I like that. No one. No one had more of a day than Chris Callahan. All right, <laughs> let's uh, move to our next category: the uh oh moment of the game. The <laughs> Should worst, we just? It's the easiest. This is the easiest one, right? Do, do, do we just make this segment the Connor Cook interception moment of the game category now? Like, is this where we start the, the Connor Cook dialogue? Oh yeah, it's got to be. And there two. are two. There's two. There's two. <laughs> there's two. Okay, here's well, the thing. Yeah, the uh oh moment of the game could be called the whatever the Connor Cook heartbreaking backbreaker interception award. But yeah, there's two in this game. Both have to do with a Connor Cook interception. Um, so the first one, the sequence is Baylor throws touchdown to 400 pound Laquan McGowan to go up 20 with four minutes left in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. And at that point. Baylor is like on the sidelines laughing. They're they're dancing. Everyone's having fun. Like it is turning into a route. And then Michigan State drives down uh, to uh, the Baylor red zone. And then Connor Cook throws an interception at the goal line. Yep. That's one. The other one is Michigan State is down 20. I don't remember how much time was left or anything like that. Um, but Connor Cook gets pressured, scrambles, uh, and the running back, who was supposed to go out on a delayed screen. Langford got thrown down and Connor Cook decides to just blindly throw the ball up in the air to um, (laughs) three offensive linemen, none of whom are looking for the ball and it is intercepted. And at that moment you're like, okay, just not Michigan state's day. So those are the two nominees. um, And we can decide later between those two. Okay. We're going to be right back in just a second. When we pick up with uh, the next segment of this podcast, we get into a debate of whether or not that Cotton Bowl interception was the single worst interception Connor Cook threw in his Michigan State career. So we'll do that here in just a second. My question is, is that Connor Cook's worst interception as a Michigan State Spartan? Ooh, it was very reminiscent of his Rose Bowl one, which the was Rose Bowl not one. great. It was almost <laughs> to a T what it was like, though. Rolls out left, is under immense pressure. I think he was wrapped up in both plays and just duck wings it right to uh, someone, like as if the pass was intended for the other team, and then just very easily taken back. But eh, luckily this one uh, wasn't the case. But there, there is two things, Connor Cook did in every single big game. It was one through backbreaking interception and two always, 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 almost always bounce back from it, bounce back from it in just incredible fashion. So it's, it's fun to talk about. Now you could talk about all the games where Connor cook had these, what are you doing moments because he could always bounce back and it'd always be okay, except for Alabama, but Hey, nothing was happening in that game. And bounce back immediately. That's the thing. The very yeah. next time he touched the football, not like later in the game, mm-hmm. he took some time to get over it. The next time, after that first interception, his very next pass attempt is a rollout option pass to Keith Mumphrey for 46 yards. Very yeah. next throw. Yeah. yeah. It, was it was fantastic. Beautiful. 
it's almost like he needed that to happen. Kind of like how some boxers like they, they need to get like, you know, popped one or two times <laughs> to like to be defense. in the moment to get like you know their legs under them. And be like, OK, the situation is here. Maybe I think that's just what he had to do. He's like, yeah, it's got to hit a defensive back and stride right now on a rollout to, to really get the blood flowing here. Somebody on Twitter said, I'm still convinced Connor Cook had like a limit on how many passes or completions he could go for in an entire game. And he would just end drives like that. Uh, to save his completions for biggest for bigger moments, and I, you can't convince me. Like I know it's not true, but the the evidence would suggest that it's at least plausible. There's no evidence out there. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's that's a tough one to argue down. That is like I forgot how bad. Like we were talking about Kirk Cousins doing some stupid stuff um, during the little Giants game, and he had plenty of really poor decisions, but. Nobody and I like nobody I've ever watched play quarterback for an extended period of time made more not more in terms of like quality like Connor Cook would only have a couple a year but when he would have a brain dead dumb decision it would be the dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life like flinging a pass I don't did he throw it lefty I feel like he may have thrown it lefty he might as well um, have yeah at three offensive linemen who are way, like no eligible receiver. If any of them touch it, it's illegal touching and three defensive players all watching for the ball. Like there was literally no upside to that play. There's no possible way it could ever work. And in the worst possible moment, right as you're trying to gear up a big comeback down 20 points late in a football game, it was so stupid. It erased the onside kick. It, it made the onside yeah. kick a moot point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, for the play before that, he throws it to Burbridge for 39 yards, right? Mm-hmm. So it's onside, oh, yeah. get it, 39-yarder to Burbridge, and then just the the paper boy newspaper toss to nobody. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a desperate moment. It was first and 10. They picked up 40 yards. Um, and they were like, like, whatever you want to say about momentum, like they were feeling it a little bit. Like, okay, this is the time to light the fire of the comeback. Man. Um, and it was he so just much fun. Snuffed it out like he was an absolute trip, man. I loved watching that dude play football. Oh, uh, well, from, he, it's funny for, how by the end of it, though, people like almost got excited when he would had that like brain numbing moment. It's like, oh, you know what's coming next? So, like, next down, baby. You long enough, you almost kind of got excited by it. like, oh, there it is. Now we're playing. So maybe it wasn't the uh, moment of the game. Maybe that's the moment we realized everything was going to be okay. It's like, oh, you got the BS out of him. <laughs> I. I I feel like when I was watching that, I, that moment was like, well, you know, he kind of does this, like flashed in my head. And I was like, no, down freaking 20. Like, there's this is stupid. It's not happening today. That was just too stupid. And then immediate response. Um, yeah, that was love Connor. Just I, I do quintessential thinking, Connor Cook. I do remember thinking the first one was like the trademark Connor Cook what the hell are you doing moment? But then when he, when he did the second one, I was like, okay, no, this one, this is different. That's the game. That's yeah. Different. Yeah. The first one, he threw an inaccurate ball to the wrong side of coverage and it got tipped and picked off like a throw. He just shouldn't have made and did a that poor job executing. That happens. This one is a catastrophe. This like, does not this happen, one. especially to the all time winningest quarterback yes. in a school's program. Like that should not happen, but it does. And it did. And dang it. It's the reason why he is the way he is remembered as yeah. a winner that would just have incredible moments but always bounce back from them baby he was rollerblading down a giant hill with a cake in his hand that just was was covered in sparklers like oh god this isn't gonna go well and if if you showed 
that clip, the Rose Bowl interception and the interception against Iowa in the Big Ten championship game in MSU yeah. territory. And you told a total stranger not used to college football. This is by far the all time winningest quarterback <laughs> in MSU football history. They would a think that MSU is a flaming tire fire that has only won maybe four games since ever 1982. Or uh, I don't even know what number two would be. <laughs> they just wouldn't believe you simply. Yeah. Um, right. So either one of those routine, they're always extraordinarily oh, no. elementary mistakes. <laughs> so I'm going to throw this right to the Stanford defensive lineman, just right into him. There's no one behind us. It's screen pass. Everyone's out in front. This guy's going to go for a touchdown. It was just like, good God. He was a winner. He had swagger, <laughs> but above all that, he was an entertainer. He was, he was. a showman. <laughs> he was not boring. Um, so pick either one of those. It doesn't matter. The, that's those are the outlaw moments, and I, I'm going to give it to the heave, the the paper boy toss, as Stephen called it. Um, <laughs> just so stupid, and it would have been game over had that guy not blocked Jack Conklin in the back, and ended up being the play of the game for Michigan State. All right, career peak. Next category was this the college career peak for anyone? Um, I would say maybe Bryce Petty we could throw in there. I, we don't know his career much, but I, I find it hard to believe that he had a better game in a bigger spot. Um, but my my big nominee is Tony Lippett. Um, that, I don't know, uh, and maybe he had more productive games. I don't actually have his full numbers up in front of me. Um, I can grab him in the sack. But just on both sides of the ball, like Tony Lippett might have been the best football player on the field that day with a ton of really good football players. Um, I don't know if this is his college career peak, but given that it was the last game of his uh, his final season and the fourth down catch and the pass defended and playing defense and all that and all the big spots, um, yeah, he Tony Lippett is my nominee. And the block, of course. I think the only one that really can maybe put up a fight to that is Jeremy Langford. He, he did have 162 yards, three touchdowns. So mm-hmm. average six yards a carry. So he he was strong, but Langford had a few moments throughout his career. So it, it's it's definitely out there. It's probably a top three career yeah, game like, for Langford, oh, considering the stakes and his production. The Big Ten championship game the year before, I feel like. He's correct, yeah. For Langford could be. Yeah. Um, just he was, I don't know, he was so good and had that, the game sealer in that one. He was certainly important uh, in this game. Um, yeah, Lippet five for 74. So not a crazy game, uh, production wise, but it was just like huge all over the place. The entire game, Steven, mm-hmm. what about you? Uh, I'd still go with the same two guys. I think Leah Langford quietly had a really, really nice day. And they, mm-hmm. as you watch that game over, they just, they needed that balance that he gave. I mean, they did hit a good amount of big plays, uh, passing the ball, but he just gave them a, a calming sort of balance to that offense where Baylor was just fireworks left and right. They were, um, just sort of plugging along, and then they really, really needed all the production they got out of him. Um, he ran really tough. Uh, you know, he saw his holes and everything, so he he had a great day. Um, but he, I probably would go a little bit just because of the the volume of snaps that he had to play as, you know, being their number one and playing defense, which, again, is just a, a such a Michigan State thing of that era. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going in against this team that averages 50 a game. Let's put our best player on offense. Let's double up his snaps and have him – play defensive back against this offense that puts up 50 a game. That should be the breaks off of him. Yeah. And he ended up holding up pretty good, but it's like, yeah. Hey, you see our best offensive weapon over there. What if we made him really tired by running nine (laughs) routes all day 
and then play them on offense too and hope to score 40 points to win this game. That should all work out probably, right? Oh, and, and it did. They yeah. got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> they did, which is just amazing. But yeah, so I, I'll yeah. go with Lippitt there. Jeremy, I just have Jeremy Langford's uh, college game logs up right here. Um, so like one, two, three, four. He scored four touchdowns in the first six games of the season, right? That year? Yeah. These are his just touchdown totals uh, for the last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. You ready? Mm-hmm. So four, the first six games. Then he goes three, 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 two, 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 three. <laughs> just. Yeah. I remember he scoring a lot of Indiana. short touchdowns in his career. I bet like yeah. half of his career touchdowns were five yards or less. He had a lot of just all the shot Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but he went for uh, 177 yards on 35 carries and three touchdowns against Michigan in 2014. That might be uh, his best career game from That's a numbers a perspective. Yeah. yeah, and given that it is Michigan, but yeah, if you want to argue the the Cotton Bowl for him, I'm not going to. Uh, argue against it. I don't think it's like overwhelming for anyone. There's just a few guys that had really awesome games and yeah, it's nice to do it um, in a new year six bowl game. All right. We'll be right back with the third and final segment. It is a long segment, uh, but the third and final segment of our Spartans rewatch. We'll be back with the change corner. All right. Change corner. My favorite category. Yeah. I've got one thing, but boy, I really need to get this. You've only got one thing. Um, yeah, yeah, because I, I need to just out myself uh, to, okay. to everyone how big of a fraud I am in a certain department of sports uh, analysis, if you will. Here's my first one. Um, maybe don't cover Corey Coleman with Darian Hicks. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've got Trey Waynes. Probably walk that one back, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, Big Ten defensive back of the year. You've got, you know, Tony Lippett, who's a very capable player there as well. Um, I don't even remember if Darian Hicks was a starter. He might have been the third corner. I don't remember the injury situation. But, uh, yeah, Corey Coleman, um, pretty damn good football player. Um, and Katie Cannon as well, I guess, kind of pick your poison. But I was just like, man, can we get – there seems like there should have been a better option in that game. Like, you just put Darian in someone else. Like, not like Darian was a fine player, but, like, let's give him some help. I know we do the quarters thing, but it, it wasn't working. Let's just maybe change it up a little bit and not just let guys get blazed past because clearly Baylor was faster than Michigan State in that portion of the game. Yeah. Oh, my God. Almost every portion of the game. Yeah. All right, Matt, give me one of yours. Well, it's giving my one and only, and I wish I could change my prediction on Bryce Petty's NFL career. Um, oh. This is one thing. Okay, no, there's a lot of things, let's be honest. But this is really one thing that I really do extraordinarily awful, and that's <laughs> predict what college quarterback is going to see great success in the NFL. Uh, I've thought guys are going to be awesome that they turn out to be total bust. Uh, Johnny Manziel, that's one. I thought guys so were going to be total I. duds, and, and they ended up being okay. Hello, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I thought Bryce Petty by far would be the best quarterback from this draft class behind Marcus Mariota. And, yes, that includes Jameis Winston. I thought he'd be better than him. I thought I loved Bryce Petty's game. And this wasn't the only game that year I saw of Baylor. Like, this was a very fun team to watch. So, I – I got out of my way and I watched him as much as I possibly could throughout the year. I remember. And every time I was like, this petty guy can get him and he's got a nice deep ball. gets rid of the ball quick. 
he is currently a free agent right now in the NFL. Probably not going to be playing football uh, professionally anytime soon. So, yeah, if there's one thing I could change on a macro level, it's just my evaluation of college football quarterbacks and how awful it is. On a micro level, it's really predicting that Bryce Petty would be a fine NFL starter and 1B to Marcus Mariota's 1A as far as NFL success. So We need to talk about just how bad that quarterback class was. I just, I just pulled it's it up. It's hilariously bad. Hilariously the 2015 bad. NFL draft uh, quarterback class. Oh, man. And this is one you're like, yeah, you got a couple guys for sure. Uh, Jameis Winston went one. Marcus mm-hmm. Mariota went two. The next quarterback taken, 75th overall, Garrett Grayson from Colorado State. I do not know if Garrett Grayson is still in the league. Doubtful. Next quarterback. This is 2015, too. Uh, 89th overall, third round, Sean Mannion out of Oregon State. After that, Bryce Petty, fourth round, 103rd overall. Uh, Brett Hunley was the next one. Fifth yeah. round, 147. Four and then the last, the last quarterback taken – in the draft, Trevor Simeon in the seventh round as a compensatory pick, 250th overall for the Denver Broncos. What a nightmare quarterback draft. Not a single one hit. Not a single one hit. Yeah, you can make the argument Winston hit. You, you no, can make that argument. Eh, 30 touchdowns, though. 5,000 yards. You know, he, he puts a little pizzazz in his game. I, I don't hate that. Sometimes you got to throw an interception. Just ask Connor Cook. He had LASIK eye surgery. See, as a quarterback's overrated, it's fine. What? Whatever. Oh my god! No, he's not. He's not a good pro. He's a well, bottom half of the league. If he's a, he's not even going to start this season. That's you know, you're picking a quarterback number one overall. He needs to be starting for your team when he's 26 years old. No, that that's true, and that's how bad this quarterback class was. Is that the baseline to me for success in this class was uh, being a somewhat sought after free agent after your. Um, time in your original team you got drafted by runs out. Uh, that, that's my baseline for success there for this yeah. draft class. Pretty, pretty rough draft. Um, Steven, what, uh, what do you have for change corner? Uh, see, I don't, I don't really have a bunch. Just, I don't know the way it played out. It was, it was just so bizarre. Cause I, I could, I couldn't point to like one or two things. I mean, I guess my main thing would be stop getting absolutely toasted deep. I mean, look at these. <laughs> be faster. Uh, yeah. Like, well, no, just, and I understand like... that's what they did. And for the most part, uh, it, it worked in previous games. I'm not even going to say for the most part it worked in this one. But cause it they, they just got completely just doused in gasoline. I mean, 49 yards the first touchdown, 53 yards the second touchdown, 74 for the other one. Um, I'd love to know their plays over like 30 yards. I don't have that in front of me, but it was just a lot. Uh, yeah, they were just unleashing napalm from the get go, and they never stopped. You know, that's so something defensively, somebody smarter than me can figure that out. But um, God, yeah. they were just going deep and deep shot, deep shot, deep shot repeatedly. That's all they wanted to do. And I mean, even after uh, even after they turned it over on downs uh, on MSU territory. I believe the first play right after was another deep ball. Like they just were relentless and just yeah. going incredibly deep and uh, it worked a lot of times. So that I don't was, blame them, but yeah, I would change something with the coverage, I guess. Yeah. Just maybe stop playing the run when they're like, yeah, we're not going to run it. We're just going to throw deep. Um, maybe give your safeties a little bit more room <laughs> to back off the line. I know they love making them run defenders and having essentially nine in the box, but at some point, um, maybe adjust. 
On the other side of the ball, uh, Michigan State was down 20 uh, in the fourth quarter and ran it like Love five, it. five times. Love it. <laughs> Just kept running the ball. They're down two touchdowns with like minutes yes. left, and they're handing off to Jeremy Langford. And I, I know it. And worked. huddling. The commentators said they're huddling. They're going so slow. They had no right to win that game. They absolutely did everything so wrong in terms of like, all right, we got to make up time. Like, all right, we're just going to slowly – like you blocked a field goal and returned it to midfield. You had so many different – things. you got an onside kick, so many different things in terms of calls went your way. They're just, yep, huddling up, handing it off. It's second and second and three. We're going to hand it off and pick up that first down, and then we're going to huddle back up. And it's like there's three minutes left, and you're down 13 stop it that was infuriating and yeah it worked in spite of that they were just so dumb and And i'm glad it worked it was fun but it was so dumb they they did the same thing too right after baylor set the tone of the second half to go up 31 14 they hand the ball up the middle immediately but the funny part about this is that the broadcaster i I forgot who called the game said to start the drive they have to score here MSU promptly went three and out to to start that <laughs> half after the broadcaster said it, and I guess you can kind of mesh that into like what was an uh-oh moment of the game. Like, oh boy, things are coming unraveled pretty quickly here. But yeah, the juxtaposition of oh, they got a score here to and hand off up the middle for a nice two mm-hmm. yards, Jeremy Langford. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> good old Antonio there were a Ball. Couple but, moments. There are a couple moments with the broadcasters that that were just uh, poetic, like that. I jotted one down in the. First quarter, um, right as the, the announcer was saying, oh, yeah, Tony Lippett's playing both ways today. He gets a false start on offense, literally right as they say. It. It's like, huh, I wonder if he's tired. I wonder if he's a little unfocused. Because he's <laughs> yeah, um, that, none, of, none of those broadcast moments are as good as the last one. We had Little Giants when, when the announcer said, and that's why Ryan Mallett was so good today, <laughs> like something along the lines of that. Yeah. Um, all right, I, I'm out. Do you have any more? Does anyone have any more change corner? I, I don't. I just suck at NFL draft analysis, and that's all I need to change in my life yeah. right now. <laughs> Let's move Not, to Ty uh, Turner. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, we'll move to Ty Turner. What was the biggest momentum swing of that game? What uh, turned the game around? I've got Callahan doinking a kick, and then right after that, uh, Michigan State takes a deep shot to Keith Mumphrey that uh, I believe set up the Josiah Price touchdown. Yeah, I just have any any field goal attempt in the fourth quarter from, from Baylor, whether it's the doink one or the one where he got blown to smithereens. Uh, those two were certainly tie turners. Yes. Anytime Baylor kicked the ball, um, yeah. it was a momentum swing. Uh, Steven, what about you? I think the the onside kick probably, I mean, it's this, this one is full of it. You know, the, you could go for, you could pick a dozen different players probably, and I'd agree. Yeah. But I think the onside kick, because it was still two touchdowns at that point, 12 minutes left to go. Um, that is a lot of time against this team, but the way they were scoring, you know, if you're down two touchdowns, that you, it could be a blink of an eye, and it's 21 right there. So the onside kick to keep that momentum, even though they didn't do anything with it, um, just keeping that alive, and that felt like they're playing to win, they're playing aggressively, and um, that just yeah. that, it felt real, you know, realer at that point. Even after it's, the Price touchdown, it's, like I said, still, I guess it's 13 points, actually, but... 41-28, it's two scores. It's You're probably still pretty nervous, but I think the onside in getting it, um, I felt like at that moment it felt kind of real because at that point you can cut it to one possession and then you're really in business. 
It's one of D'Antonio's better, like, fake calls or, like, you know, something like that. Something out of the ordinary, doing something bold. It's one of his best. I'm going to make a bold decision here because um, I remember in game there because that's just kind of like we're talking about. They're running the ball and they're huddling and they they weren't, you know, it wasn't desperation time yet. It It felt like the perfect sort of moment. I remember being really surprised and it was, like, perfectly executed. Um, but just an absolute... you move on from that, I just yeah. I think we should, I wanted to mention at some point on this, just seeing D'Antonio back then, I, I was curious to, to hear you guys talk about this a little bit. I mean, he looked a hundred years after, younger. Yeah. After him, after covering him, um, I think, you know, it's been the 18 and 19 seasons since I've been back here in this job and just covering him up close in person these last two years. And then seeing this today and just sort of the energy about him just exuded sort of an, you know, even though he is stoic and quiet and, doing his D'Antonio thing, there was, you still sort of, he oozed sort of a confidence and an energy. And then there yeah. were sort of the, the emphatic outward moments that you saw. And like, that was, those were apparent, but I don't know. I just thought moment to moment, he seemed more sort of locked in and just sort of like his engine was running hotter, you know, I don't know. There was something about watching him and his demeanor that just was, it was very clear, um, a departure from what we've seen in the last couple of years. Yeah. He was, if you want to describe it as clear eyed, like he was much more clear eyed. Um, he just, yeah, he was locked in. He was focused. He just, I don't know. He looked, he literally looks 10 years younger, even though it was five years ago. Like he just looked fresher and more into it. And like he had more, especially compared to the last couple of years, because, you know, going 500, having sexual assault cases and all the really crappy stuff that's been circling his program for a few years um, was obviously wearing on him. And just like, oh, that's a different dude. Have you ever seen like the president's picture the first day he takes office and then the <laughs> yes. picture the last day he takes office and it looks like they've aged roughly 24 years? That is what happened to Antonio the last four years or five years of his obviously coaching career. It's just all buried on him, just like Will was talking about. But yeah, he was a different guy back then. Like this is six years ago. It might as well have been 16 of it, it looks like at, at some points. Um, but yeah, hey, you know, now that he's gone, re- retired, uh, I, I hope people don't remember the last few years as much as they do remember these glory years and how fun these games were and the kind of coach he was when, you know, he and the team was at his best. Well, it's a perfect transition, Matt, because we can talk about the Pantheon. Wow. Where does this game settle in wow. among all MSU games? Um, I think it's a memorable game that is it's going to be one of those ones where you talk about it because there's singular plays that are, you know, defining moments and, and stuff like that. Um but it's, you know, it was the Cotton Bowl and that's in New Year's Six and that's nice, but it's not going to compare to, um, you know, Big Ten Championship games, Rose Bowl, college football playoff, even, um, you know, games against Michigan, games against Ohio State. I think it kind of settles in uh, under that tier of games, but it's certainly one of the more like it's the best non, I don't even know what you want to call it, like program type games, if that makes sense, like. It really wasn't much stakes. Like the best stakeless game is that is that fair? I don't know. Where do you sure, guys think? Yeah. Well, I think at the very least, too. Just like we were talking about right off the top of the show, it is either one or two for most entertaining game for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you on this as well. And I referenced this last time, but back in 2018 for the only colors, I did go back and rank all 100 of MSU's wins under D'Antonio, and I had this one at 11. And okay. even with revisionist history, two years of sitting and think about it, I, I'm looking at all these games ranked above it. I still feel like that plays because above it at 10, I had the Oregon game. Nine was the Big Ten title against Penn State back in 2010. And then Rocket, 
uh, MSU's 2013 game against Michigan, Little Giants, and then there was Jalen Watts-Jackson, and then there was the Tyler O'Connor game at Ohio State, and then the top three was Iowa, Rose Bowl, Big Ten title over Ohio State. I, I don't think this game really tops any of those as far as it's, no, it, yeah, stakes it's, like that. Yeah. It's, right in, it's right in that group of 9-10-11. If you want to mm-hmm. switch it with the Oregon game or whatever, that's fine with me. Um, yeah, it's like right in, in there, but it's definitely – up there is one of the most memorable games in the D'Antonio era for sure. Steven, what do you think? I, uh, man, see, I think you guys are way underselling it. I, I disagree uh, pretty significantly. I, I think, I mean, Rank I think one. if you, what? Rank it one. Oh, okay. No, I'm not going to do one. No. Um, I, I just think, man, um, it's tough. It's unfair, quite honestly, because there were so many dramatic and, and classic games in the D'Antonio era, you guys just listed a bunch mm-hmm. of them, or you could even go to like the Georgia game and sure. things like that. There's been so many that when you put it in that pile, like it, maybe it doesn't really stand out. And it was sandwiched between the, the Rose bowl, which felt at the time, like the greatest thing that's ever happened. And then the very next year after it, you go to the playoff and then that feels like the greatest thing that ever mm-hmm. happened. So of course, sort of the middle child syndrome, this one gets left behind. Um, oh, it, it's but, great. But, it just falls short. I, get, I can understand from a stake standpoint, but from a pure football and, and how the dramatics unfolded and the massive plays, you know, I think if just this game in a vacuum would be like a career game for any coach if they didn't have six other crazy games like it. But Correct, yeah. uh, for, for your normal coach, they would go down and everyone would always say, you remember the Baylor game? You know, if there wasn't trouble with the snap and Little Giants and Rocket and so on and so on, this would be yeah. the game. So I think just on a football merit basis, it's got to be in that top five six seven range you guys are talking about nine and ten i don't i don't think so certainly stakes and emotional things uh, make all those other games different but mm-hmm. just from the football side of it and coming back in the way that's the, just the total fireworks of it all i think it's way up there um we had we had a similar discussion with McQuaid because um that big 10 championship win over michigan that the basketball team had last year it just falls short of a million different things that Tom Izzo has accomplished over his career. And it's pretty similar, like comparison to, to this game, although that one had conference uh, stuff on the line, you know, like similar, like college football or a New Year's six bowl is kind of like the big 10 tournament. Like, yeah, it's nice to win it, but it's not, you know, the number one thing you set out to do at the beginning of a season. Um, but playing Michigan in that certainly uh, turned it up a notch. But like all the Final Fours, the national championship, the big regular season Big Ten championships, it just kind of falls short. And that's where it's like, it's not that this was a fin- phenomenal game. And it would be like you said, like Daryl Hazel would kill somebody to have that type of game on his resume. Lovey Smith, <laughs> same thing. Just name right. like name 90% of college football coaches um, and they would die to have a game like that. Uh, atop their resume but for him yeah i mean it's i I, it's i think it's easily out of the top five and it's closer to nine or ten but we can certainly diverge there i do have a hot take that i need to get off my chest um that i forgot to do earlier um and it's so late in the show but it's worth it all right um tony lippett's hit was a personal foul Right. In, can, in this day and age, yes. I, I, we can say it absolutely is. Six years ago, but yeah, t- today it would have been. Today he's in jail. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. Today he's in jail. Um, it was a missed call. <laughs> I will say, 
Trey Waynes got headbutted blindside uh, earlier in the game. Completely blown call. Should have been a 15-yard penalty. Connor Cook, another one. He was sliding for a first down. They totally missed it. A dude like sliding over his head. Football was just different five mm-hmm. years ago, and it's kind of crazy how far it's come. Um, but yeah, Tony Lippett's hit. I mean, it's just like it's too much. Just too much. Uh, one workaround. Don't, don't get your field goal blocked. Just don't no, get your I, field goal oh. blocked, and you're fine. <laughs> no, that, no, there's fair. one easy way to avoid this. <laughs> no, totally fair. Um, but had they thrown a flag on that, it would have been the right call. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just today I rewatched that a couple of times, like not just for pure entertainment value, which it obviously it is, but yeah, I, that that popped right into my head. Will I was like, ooh, based on today's rules, clearly it wasn't a flag. Then I was like, would they have flagged yeah. that? Absolutely, because I, I they just recently, like within one or two years, changed the rules again, where like you have to be fully facing their numbers or something. I yeah, believe, and I yeah, forget the exact the, language, but the it's blind slide block. Yeah, you can't you can't do that type of block, even if you just like barely hit them. Um, right. but it was, it was blindside launching, targeting, hitting in the head. And it was a 215 pound chiseled monster against 135 pound kicker oh, who I just guy. empathize with so much. Um, he did an entire flip and landed and his body went stiff and he crumbled to the ground. It is incredible. And I'm so happy that he is okay. And they were joking about it after the game, because that means we can joke about it. Yes. But had he broken his neck? It would not have been a surprise. It would not have been a surprise if he broke three bones on that hit. He makes it so much better, too, like when you watch the reverse angle. So he, like, falls and then pops back up, and you can, like, almost see, like, the roadrunner, like, um, little, uh, you know, little fairy dust above his head, like the stars, like, twirling around like a halo. And then he just sort of like slowly collapses back down. <laughs> it was like such a cartoonish. Uh, it's like he just got hit by the anvil. Like he pops up like he's okay, yes. <laughs> and just slowly fades away. It's like nope, no, he's not. He's not okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know he's like on the sideline, like coming to again, just in time to see MSU put the final dagger hit <laughs> into the game too. Like what? A, what a brutal three minute stretch for for Callahan. <laughs> if, <laughs> that poor if, guy. If Baylor got back into field goal range on that last drive and he had to hit like a 50 yarder, like he would have had no. Oh, you shot. send uh, Laquan McGowan back out to, to yeah. try to hit the kick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you grab somebody from section 37, row 82. They have a better shot of hitting that kick than your kicker you after to, getting you blown just up. Coleman run a go route. You're better off doing that than kicking yes. out a field goal. Absolutely. Um, I forgot to get that out there. I just wanted to get it off my chest. Last category who was the MVP? Who won the game, Matt? I'm going to go with Langford, just 162 yards, three touchdowns. I, I got to do that. And anyone that had MSU plus three this game, what a tremendously <laughs> horrible beat for anyone with Baylor minus three this game. Um, so, um, yeah, it's Jeremy Langford and anyone with MSU plus three. I love that you're looking up all the uh, the old spreads for these games. Uh, Steven, who do you have as the MVP? I'm going to go with Langford, too, um, for a lot of the reasons I've already said. You know, he was just so uh, steady and reliable and everything. And for as much as, uh, you know, Baylor's offense was just this huge explosion after explosion, he was just sort of a, uh, just a, you know, just a rock rolling down the hill sort of steadily there, just, or just a, a stream sort of moving through. He really like provided a, a comfort and a pace to Michigan state's offense. That was obviously different from Baylor's, but it was necessary. It, it kept the ball away from them, um, a good amount. And, uh, he just, he just, he, he got a lot of tough yards, even though, uh, there was a lot of talent on that line. Um, it, a lot of those guys were a few years away from what they'd become, and they didn't have their best day. They were okay. You know, they didn't have a mm-hmm. bad game, but uh, he had to do a lot on his own, and um, I just thought he ran really tough 
Uh, and that was something that I didn't, you know, that didn't always stick out about his career. Not that he, I didn't think he ran tough, but that really stuck out, I thought, on this day. And this mostly what he gave to that offense in terms of a, a consistency and a pace. Um, he was big. It seemed like every carry was going for positive yardage. Uh, so I got to go with him. I'm with you guys. Um, 162 yards, three touchdowns, sets the school touchdown rushing record. Um, what do you, uh, 40 something? I forget what it was, but he scores 40 freaking touchdowns in two years. Um, I think it was his game. Yeah. And he, yeah. And he was just uh, an absolute baller. Yeah. Um, going back to Michigan State played Wyoming that year. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I got no recollection uh, of that. <laughs> no, wow. I remember Jacksonville State, Oregon, right. Eastern, whatever, and then obviously they played Wyoming. Weird. Yeah, no, that um, happened. That's that's our next rewatch. To- We're gonna rewatch the Wyoming game. <laughs> the next one. <laughs> um, yeah, Langford was an absolute stud in this game, and uh, a big reason why they were able to kind of stay afloat there while things got hairy. And uh, shout out to Tony Lippett. He was also really good as well. All right, anything we missed? Anything else? Any final closing parting shots, Matt? No, I thought I couldn't uh, find a way to put my gambling spin in this, but I whew, at the 11th hour, we did it, baby. We did it. Um, <laughs> Steven, you got anything else you want to f- close us out with? Uh, no, I think we hit on most of our notes. Um, just a crazy game. Just yeah. amazing, all those deep balls. and I'm, I'm still just impressed by the relentlessness. relentlessness of Baylor and their deep balls. Um, It's uh, everything I want in a college football offense. It really was. Yeah. They threw the 74 yarder to cannon go up 31, 14 very first play of the very next drive is another deep ball. They just, Mm -hmm. they they were relentless. And uh, and just the other thing, I guess is just the appreciation for this Michigan state offense. um, Cause God knows folks need it in these times. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking, I'm looking at that schedule. You, you convinced me of looking at Wyoming. These are the point totals of Michigan State football that season, of Michigan, Michigan State points. They didn't win all these games, but they scored 45, 27, 73, 56, <laughs> 27, 45, 56, 35, 37, 37, 45, 34, and 42 to beat Baylor in the Cotton Bowl. There is yes. two games in the 20s, and everything else is north of that, which is just yep. – uh, a foreign language to folks these days. Yeah, forty-two the only, point eight points per game. That's unbelievable. See, the only Michigan State team that I can remember, um, it has to be like maybe ever. I don't know. Going back way back in the day, maybe, but the only Michigan State team I can remember that absolutely pummeled teams with offense. Like we're playing Eastern Michigan, we're scoring seventy points on them, and it's going to be like they never got off the bus. Like. That has never happened with the Michigan State team before. And I remember opening night against Jacksonville State. They lit them up so quickly. And yeah, they're FCS, but they're a really good FCS school that could beat some FBS teams for sure. Um, And they just embarrassed them off the jump. And I was like, okay, this is a different level of offense because I'm used to seeing them score 26 points against Youngstown State and still winning 26 to 3 but like riding the defense to an easy win instead of like, we're going to put up a 50 spot real quick here. And then we're going to go party after the game. Like that was the only team to ever do that. And dear God, do I miss it? The only thing I remember about that Jacksonville state game is thinking the season might've been over over already when Connor cook takes that shot to the knee, like in the first half, I think, or early third quarter. And 
It's very, very early, and it looks bad. It looks yeah. very, very bad. It was like a touchdown like, pass. All right, we can pack up here. It. <laughs> it was a touchdown pass to go up like 28 nothing, and I was like, you mother bleepers. Fire yeah. up the We Want Terry chance again for this one. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was furious. Um, All right, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for listening to – uh, well, I think this is going to be two days or two day um, locked on Spartans, Spartans rewatch of the Cotton Bowl. Thanks so much, Stephen, for joining us. Remind us you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You can find Locked On Spartans wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we'll be doing this again, um, maybe next week. We'll see. We'll figure it out. Um, try to squeeze in a quicker one. We've got some more guests lined up, um, but we're definitely going to be doing a bunch of these. Um, you know the. Did you did you guys DVR uh, the Elite Eight, Duke, Michigan State? That was on CBS Sports. Did you DVR it? I've got a DVR eight different times in my um, cable Fantastic. box. So, yeah, we're good. We're gonna uh, yeah, we're gonna get to th- right now. I think I have it recording. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get to that one eventually, and we got a bunch of other stuff that we want to get to. So, yeah, we're gonna be without sports for a while, but we're gonna continue to make it work. Thanks so much for sticking with us, Matt. Take us home. Be safe, everyone. Stay inside. Let's ride this out one day at a time, baby. Go green.